Only one first lady has ever appeared on U.S. paper currency. Who was it? Wow, I didn't know about that. I know, I know. Mm. <laughs> and what state is home to the world's largest temperate rainforest? You will be surprised. Will I? Okay. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fun facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, we're back again after a week or so off, and it's good to be here with you today. All right, Marsha, that's an interesting question. There is a U.S. first lady that appeared on currency? Yeah, I didn't know that either. Is this a special kind of currency? Just guess who the lady is. Okay, the lady is... Martha Washington. <laughs> that is it. Ding, okay. ding, ding. From 1886 to get this, 1957. She was the face on the U.S. $1 silver certificate. She was on a $1 silver certificate for how long? From 1886 to 57. Wow. In 1896, she also appeared alongside husband George on the $1 bill in honor of her birthday for a year. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, me either. Martha Washington was on a $1 bill? Oh, well, in 1896, she was with George as a couple. <laughs> no kidding. In honor of her birthday, they appeared in tandem, but she was also on the U.S. $1 silver certificate. Now, what's that? That's not something we would normally see, was it? I think it was tender used between banks mostly, and it could be traded in for a silver dollar. It was a certificate, though. It was paper currency. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And uh, I chose... Martha because I figured let's go back to the original first lady and there'd be least controversial there but I didn't realize they were actually on a real one dollar bill yeah. in 1896 yeah. as a couple yeah it's a couple <laughs> two for one I'd like that for us for our 50th anniversary <laughs> let's do that that's a little ways down the road okay thank God <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not because I don't want to but be it's here too with late, you. Bob. Move on what to I your met question. Was, what was your we're teaser? We're younger than that. Okay, here's my teaser. <laughs> what state is home to the world's largest temperate rainforest? Now, what does that mean? Temperate zones are the mild temperature areas located between the subtropical and the polar regions. So, the world's largest temperate rainforest is in what state? Do you want me to give you some states? Yeah. Florida, mm -hmm. Alaska, mm -hmm. Oregon, Louisiana, or North Carolina. Which state is home to the world's largest temperate rainforest? Florida, Oregon, Alaska, Louisiana, or North Carolina? Alaska. That is exactly right. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Tongass National Forest, located in southeastern Alaska, is the largest intact temperate rainforest in the world. 17 million acres and has a dramatic landscape of fjords, glaciers, and the snowy peaks of the coastal mountains. Huh. So who knew, right? Not me. Alaska is just full of surprises it as is. a state. It is. The most veterans. Yeah. The land. largest capital that you can't get to by any road. <laughs> right. Yeah. All sorts of singular distinctions. Exactly. Okay, Bob. Canned food was around about 50 years before the first can opener was invented in uh, 1858. 
So how did people get their cans open before the can opener for 50 years? I think they had to punch a hole in them and pry them open or something like that. A hammer and a chisel. Oh, my God. Yes. Honey, hand me the hammer and chisel. I am really hungry (laughs) right now. I am so hungry. Get to these beans. Yep. uh, It wasn't easy. And the first can opener was invented by Ezra Warner. He was employed by soldiers during the Civil War. And he had to come up with a replacement to to help these guys get to their food. And he came up with the can opener, which wasn't that great because uh, it had a series of blades to puncture the can and then saw off the top of the can. And it left a dangerously jagged edge. Sounds like, yeah, you don't want to eat your beans by bringing them up to your mouth. Oh, God, no. But uh, the common crank can opener commonly used today wasn't invented until 1925. Wow. And you're right, that uh, the first canned food goes back to, I think, Napoleon's army, something yeah, like that. Yeah, because they... Uh, he gave Napole- a prize so he could have his uh, meat uh, for his army as it yeah. went across he Europe. He wanted to feed the troops as they paraded around the world, conquering things. Okay, Marcia, <laughs> let's get to architecture here. What major world city is sinking under the weight of its skyscrapers? Oh, my, my, my. What major world city is sinking under the weight of skyscrapers? Is it New York City? That's right. Oh, dear. This is new research published by the American Geophysical Union. The city is sinking under its own weight, sliding deeper into the Earth's crust. The rate is about one to two millimeters a year. Turns out those massive skyscrapers and that dense clustering of buildings, they weigh about 1.7 trillion tons. So they apply too much pressure to the ground. And four of the five boroughs are mostly islands, essentially. But apparently the city is rebuilding a park on Manhattan's east side to try to make the city more floodproof. Last year it changed its building codes to improve drainage. Oh, that's good. How much a year? A One millimeter? to two millimeters. So it's about, you know, 0.04 inches. So it's very tiny, but yeah. that it's sinking that much every year, yeah. that's a lot. It's problematic for sure. Okay, Bob. Mm-hmm. Who was the first British monarch to hold a university degree? I think that was Prince Philip, wasn't it? Yeah. Prince Charles, I'm sorry. Prince Charles. The guy now? Who's king now. Yes. <laughs> that's the answer. Good for you. The recently coronated king was the first to forgo home tutoring. The first to forgo home tutoring. Yeah. Okay. So before him, all the royals were homeschooled. Yeah. And, and <laughs> with, with the best tutors, we yeah. might say. He had a bachelor's degree from Cambridge in anthropology, archaeology, and history. And then he got his master's of arts degree also from Cambridge. That's the current King Charles. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he is well-schooled in all those disciplines. Probably one of the best educated, educated uh, Yeah kings in the history of the world from that standpoint. Yeah, could be. Okay, let's talk about side jobs. Side jobs are important to many of us. We've had side jobs with our professions. Anton Chekhov was a famous Russian playwright, but what was his other job? What was his other profession? Bartender. No. (laughs) It's a profession that probably got him killed. Oh. Oh. Anton Chekhov, what was his other profession other than being a Russian playwright? I don't know. We should ask our friend. Oh, she teaches Chekhov, uh, Maya. Maya Solovieva, our in-law. Yeah, she is. Teaches at Oberlin. Russian literature. That's right. All right, so Anton Chekhov, a famous Russian playwright, what was his other profession? If he's not a bartender, I'll say bricklayer. No, he was a physician. Really? Yeah, his work included treating some of Russia's poorest, sickest people, and he died in 1904 of tuberculosis, possibly something he contracted from a patient. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, she loves her Chekhov, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, Bob, how many pounds of edible food a year does the average American throw away? Now, wh- why do you say edible food? Because this is stuff you could uh, that hasn't been made yet or isn't eaten or is still in the can or package or stuff okay, so we buy and put in the fridge. It's stuff we're prematurely getting rid of yes. for some reason. Okay. And hasn't been eaten. Like, you know, you got some ham slices in the fridge and you toss it before it's ready. Um, I'll say... Well, 100 pounds a year, that's a lot, isn't it? But yeah, that uh, is a lot. And I would have guessed the same, but it's 325 pounds per person. Wow. Now explain this. Why are we throwing out 325 pounds of good food per person? How's that happening? The biggest reason is we buy too much and we misunderstand expiration labels. Okay. You know, the best if used by date on the stuff that we always look at? Yeah. That describes quality where the product may not taste or perform as expected, but we think that's when we should consume it by and so we throw it away. Whereas the use-by date applies to only a few products, and that means it's highly perishable. And that's the date you have to look at. So So, the best-by date, you can uh, fudge on that a little bit. Best if used-by date. You can fudge on it by a lot. Because it's probably going to still be good food. It just deteriorates a little your spaghetti or your soup or whatever, but it's still edible. So that's what we should keep in mind as a new rule from now on. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right, Marcia, speaking of waste, here's waste of a kind of a different sort. Did you know that the United States is overparked? What was that? The United States is overparked. I know what I don't understand. Okay, what's the ratio of parking spaces to cars in the United States? Oh, really? Yeah. Parking spaces to cars. Two to one. Two to one. That would be a lot, right? Yeah. Now in the U.S., there are as many as six parking spaces for every car. What? Really? As many as six now. And that's a fact from a new book called Paved Paradise, How Parking Explains the World by Henry Graybar. He says the United States became overparked, he calls it, because of rules that require new housing developments to build a minimum number of parking spaces. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in some cases, uh, 53 parking spaces for only 10 apartment units are mandated by municipal rules. Ah. And sometimes these rules are so onerous, apartment buildings aren't built. But that's the ratio today. Six parking spaces for every car in America. So that's another form of waste. Indeed it is. Yeah. Marcia, have you noticed there are more and more Amazon delivery vans you see these days? Yeah. Do you know how many more there are now than there were? Were when? Before 2022. Oh, no. Amazon built aggressively on its delivery service during the COVID pandemic. So what do you want, a number? Yeah. How many do you think they have now? Vehicles around the country. Amazon vehicles. USA. I'll I'll say 10,000. It's (laughs) 100,000. Yeah, between 2020 and 2022, the number of Amazon delivery vans on streets more than doubled in that two-year period. So it's quite a fleet delivering everyday items. That's almost half the size of the U.S. postal delivery fleet now. Half of it? Yeah. I went online to find out what theirs were. The Postal Service says it has 236,532 vehicles. Mm -hmm. Amazon has 100,000, and it's growing. That's amazing. All right, back to King Charlie, Bob. You know, it's King Charles III. Did you know he's a third? Yes, he is. Okay. He was recently coronated wearing a solid gold St. Edward's crown, which weighed over three pounds. Solid gold. Jeez. You want to take a guess how many diamonds were embedded in it? Uh, Let's see. I would say probably 400. Diamonds? Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. 
2,868 diamonds. God! <laughs> and a delightful assortment of sapphires, emeralds, and pearls. The diamonds include the famous 3,106-carat Cullion diamond. Can you imagine 3,000? 3, 3,106 carats? Yeah, Cullion diamond. Holy cow. Yeah, those are some pretty hefty crown jewels. <laughs> That's a lot of carats, Doc. <laughs> Indeed. Is it time for a break? I think so. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. And we'll be back in just a moment. Yeah, the crowd cheers. <laughs> the crowd cheers? Okay. <laughs> We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, which has an internet radio station. After we do that show, it goes out over podcast platforms all over the world. Marsha, what movie studio is credited with being the first one to start producing shows for television? In other words, the first movie studio to work with the new medium rather than against it. First studio? Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. It actually I, makes sense when you think about it's it. It's not Desi Lu. No. No, that, that came after in the 50s. I don't know. Walt Disney. Oh, gosh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, their color show, Disneyland, that was the original show, came on the air October 27th, 1954, and that prompted Warner Brothers to sign a contract to produce shows for ABC, one of the most famous of which was Maverick. So Disney started the movie studios working with television. Oh, okay. Like yeah. movie studios now are working with yeah. streaming and yeah. everything else yeah. these days. Okay, that makes sense. Canned food, let's go back to canned food. Canned food, one of your favorite topics <laughs> apparently today. After soup, Bob, what are the top canned foods in American pantries? After soup, well, I'd say spam is pretty important. That's canned meat. It's not on the top. But it's apparently not on the top. I will say uh, canned fruit. No, not on the top. Really? I, I I was thinking like pineapple or something like yeah. that. No, no, no. Canned. The most Okay, canned beans. Yeah, that's towards the end here of the top. So okay. canned soup to canned beans and something in between. Oh, yeah. Um, Number hmm. two. What is it? Tuna. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And to be specific, Starkist tuna, apparently. Wow. And that's followed by spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. And that's followed by corn, green beans, and tomatoes. You said beans, didn't you? Yes, I did. These are the green beans. Baked beans, I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, but this is green beans. So okay. There you go. Wow. That's the stuff in our pantry. Okay. Actually, yeah. none of those things are in our pantry. Well, are you proud? Do you want a medal? Is that it? <laughs> okay. Hey, I got some more TV questions here. Okay. It was one of the most popular quiz shows offered very little money, but an interesting format and personalities. What was the top prize if you were on What's My Line back in the day? Oh, gosh, it wasn't much. The top prize. I think I watched it on YouTube the other day. Yeah, you can see a lot of those. They're yeah. fun. Oh, the top prize, $100. $50. Ah. That's all the more they offered. Okay, uh, speaking of TV, I've got another thing here. How many different titles has The Tonight Show had in its history? We're talking about the NBC series, The Tonight Show. It first went on the air when? Any idea? 1952. 1950. Yeah. So it's over 72 years old. Yeah. All right. How many titles do you think it's had? One. Six. Okay. I thought they were all The Tonight Show. No, it started out as Broadway Open House. Really? That was the first year at Jerry Lester and Maury Amsterdam. That was 1951. Yeah. Okay. Seven at 11 was the next incarnation of it. 
Uh, what does Bri- that mean, 7 at 11? 7 at 11. I don't know. 7 people at 11? 7 yeah. acts at 11? Yeah. That was in 1951. The Leftover Review. That doesn't sound like something you want to wait yeah. up. Let's <laughs> wait up and watch The yeah. Leftover Review. <laughs> but that was a one-month replacement for Broadway Open House. So they went through a number of series, but these are all at the same time, okay? Okay. Then The Tonight Show name. That was adopted in 1953. Who was the host of that? Steve Allen. Steve oh, Allen. That's Steve it. Allen. That's Jack like, Parr. Jack Parr came later. That was Tonight America After Dark was Jack LaSchooley. And then The Tonight Show, just Tonight Show without the word the, came in 1957, and that was Jack Parr. Oh, okay. Wow. Now, who had it the longest? Who was the longest host? Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. How many years? 20-something. 30. Really? 1962 to 1992. Then, of course, Jay Leno. How many years was he on? This is hard to believe. 15? 22 years. Really? One to guess that. And Jimmy Fallon has been on for almost 10 years now, since 2014. February 17, 2014, he became like the 10th or 11th host of The Tonight Show in its history. Jeez. Add those up and you got to feel really old. Johnny and uh, Jimmy and who's that other? Oh, Jay Leno. Gosh, that's 60, 70 years right there. There was even a year in 1962 when Jack Park quit. They had a whole bunch of other hosts. Yeah. Just a rotating series of hosts like Art Linkletter and Jack Carter and Joey Bishop and all. I think there was like 20 hosts over a period of summer. So you can can put a lot of other names in there that hosted that show. Uh But the people who really anchored it, probably about 11 people in its history. And some people we never heard of. Well, those summer people were trial runs to see if they were any good. That was part of it, sure. Yeah, it was like an audition. Even Ernie Kovacs hosted with uh, Steve Allen for a while. They were oh, in ro- really? they were in rotation. Well, there's a oh, that's an interesting too. So yeah, rotation makes sense. He yeah. was very funny. Yeah, he was. Okay, Bob, you always like word questions. Mm-hmm. Why are skilled computer fanatics called geeks? Why are skilled computer fanatics called geeks? Mm-hmm. And geeks didn't always refer to computer fanatics, did it? Wasn't it kind of always somebody was a little strange or had a strange hobby, something like that? Well, actually, the word goes back to the 1400s. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> yes. Long before computers? Yeah. Okay, tell me about it. All right. Since the 15th century, Bob, geek was used to describe a low-life fool. A low-life fool. <laughs> <laughs> and in carnival slang, a geek is someone who bites off the heads of chickens and snakes. Oh, no. Didn't want to go out with that guy. Anyway, it's a lost art. At the beginning of the computer age, the word geek took on a new meaning of a socially awkward intellectual yes. who understood the weird world of computers. Okay. But through accepting and celebrating their geek status, skilled computer operators managed to change the meaning of the word so that a geek is someone to be admired. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Kind of like Wisconsinites embracing the term cheesehead. Yes, it is. Which was initially a derogatory term used by jealous Chicago Bear fans. That's right. <laughs> and it's the same thing. And they say, yeah, I'm a proud geek. And well, now now it means somebody that's really good with the computers. You know, a lot of terms in history have uh, been derogatory terms originally. Uh, Methodist, that was one. Uh, these people had a strange method, the way they uh, practiced you know, their religion. Same thing with Protestants, were protesters. You oh, know? okay. They're Protestants. You know, yeah. That was a negative thing to say about somebody. And then these people, if they're smart, just take yeah. it and say, we'll make this a positive thing. Make it a positive. And that's what the geeks did. You know, the big geeks are uh, Bill Gates, you yeah. know, Steve yeah. Jobs. Yeah. You know, those guys were yeah. geeks. And proud of it. Okay. 
Speaking of words, Marcia, what do shoemakers have to do with the word snobbery? Really? Snobs. Well. Shoemakers were called snobs at one point. They were? Yeah. Because only rich people had good shoes that could afford to have them repaired? Something along those lines. It's similar to that. The word snob goes back to the 18th century. Originally, it referred to cobblers, people who repaired shoes and luggage and belts and bags and other things. They were considered unskilled workers of relatively low rank. We think of snob as somebody who is looking down on uh-huh. people, but the people looked down upon were called snobs back in those days. Oh, really? Yeah. One theory suggests the word snob came from the custom of writing S period knob, <laughs> sine nobilitate, without nobility, under the name of children of untitled parents in English schools. This kid is a snob because they're not, they have no So ability. it was the opposite. Yeah. I'll be darned. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. The early 19th century sense was a person not belonging to the upper classes, not one who's an aristocrat. They're a snob. Where we think of a snob as somebody who is an aristocrat yeah, looking yeah, down on yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different. Here's a quickie. What are egglets, Bob? A G E L E T S. Small eggs, tiny eggs. Egglets, A G E. Oh, uh, A-G-E. Uh-huh, L-E-T. Egglets? It's the plastic thing on the end of your shoelaces. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> How did I, that get that name? Uh, I don't know, but I threw it in because you were talking about uh, shoemakers. One more word question. Sometimes, Bob, at the end of the day, we say, I'm ready to knock off work. Yes. Where does that term come from? Knock off work. Yeah. This must be some kind of a profession where you would knock things or push things off. I would say that sounds like somebody who works at a carnival with those little funny little furry uh, things that you throw oh, throw uh, you know yeah, balls at and they yeah, knock off. That's they, a good guess. Yeah. No, this goes back to something far less fun. Oh. It goes back to the oarsmen in the ship's slave galley. Oh, dear. To keep ships on course. I mean, there's always somebody keeping them in unison by a drum beat pounded on a block of wood. That's right. Different beats had different meanings. And the best one of the day was when the slaves were knocked off for the day. There was a special beat. So this wasn't a bad thing. The slaves would be happy to be knocked off for the day. Yeah, they weren't right. killed for the day. No, they were knocked off okay. for the day. They could they could stop rowing, and the next group probably came in. There. So you'd knock off because the drum beat was yeah, off. They had different knocks for, you know, just do your left oar, do your right oar, do in unison. And knock off for the day. So what do you do when you want to embarrass your agent, Marcia? My agent? What did Jerry Lewis do to get even with his agent when they were having a feud? (sighs) Jerry Lewis. My favorite. Uh, uh, What did he do, What did Jerry Lewis (laughs) do? (laughs) He had his agent's picture printed on rolls of toilet paper. And he distributed the rolls to his friends and encouraged them to use the paper at every opportunity. What a vindictive person. Oh, he, he, he was distasteful to me, but France loved him. I don't know why. <laughs> he was a genius in oh, France. What, what the hell? How did that happen? Well, he was a filmmaker. He, you know, he did everything. He, was, he wrote, he directed, he starred, he acted, he produced. And he called himself a genius. Yes, he did. Well, That's it. one of the things. You have to call yourself a genius. <laughs> to be one. That's right. Okay, Bob. What is the best-selling candy in the world? The best-selling candy in the world. Is this something that... Has a is a United States product by any chance? It is. This is it Hershey's? No. Chocolate? No, I would have said that. Too. Okay, is it a chocolate? Mm-hmm. There's some chocolate on it, yeah. It's not Tootsie Rolls, is it? No. Nope. Is it a Tootsie Roll Pop? No. Nope. 
Sorry, I've got just focused on chocolate here. <laughs> what would be have some chocolate on it? What do you mean it has some chocolate? Well, I mean, the whole thing isn't solid chocolate. Oh, okay. So it's got chocolate, like a chocolate coating it's a or mixt- something. In fact, I'll tell you the ingredients. It's a mixture of peanuts, caramel, nougat, wrapped in a layer Snickers. of chocolate. Yes. Snickers, <laughs> of course. It's the number one in the world. That's one of my favorite candy bars. Yeah, and you know, number two in the world what? is uh, something I really like. Toberlone, you know, the chocolate oh, bar. Yeah. It's shaped like a... From uh, Europe, right. Yeah, it's created in Switzerland, and it's like a triangle I or brought something. you some of those home when I came from oh, uh, yes. trips and, to Switzerland. And you can get them right here at the store, That's too. right, you can get them here, but back in the day, you couldn't. And the top sellers, in case you're wondering, in America are Snickers, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Toberlone, and Kit Kat, my favorite. Kit Kat. Yeah, and, those are those are from Britain, I believe. Okay, Marcia, I told you about the post office trucks just a moment yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, what other post office facts are there that might be interesting? And the post office has a website called One Day in the Postal Service. Oh, fun factoids from the postal people. It's full of stats about what happens in a single day with the U.S. Postal Service, but I think it's a great snapshot of a single day in the life of America. Okay. Let's take visits to their website. (laughs) Okay, now we all know the internet and email and social media pretty much killed old-fashioned letter writing. Uh Uh-huh. But the U.S. Postal Service transitioned like every other business. It built its own website. And guess what? It's a very busy website. Most websites would kill to get this kind of traffic. How many visitors daily to the U.S. Postal Service website? 1.5 million. 9.9 million a day. Visit USPS.com. No kidding. 9 million. Okay, now here in America, how many address changes are there on a daily basis? Address changes. One million two. Not that many. Okay, 500,000. Not that many. 200,000. Not that many, Marsh. Five. 50,000. <laughs> 50,227. Okay, how many mail carriers are delivering mail on foot? Old-fashioned mail carriers uh, delivering mail, not in trucks, but going yes. on neighborhood to neighborhood not to neighborhood. Not as many. Uh, I don't know. Tell me. 6,600. So there's still a lot. They call them the the fleet of feet. The fleet, the fleet of feet. Okay, and I'm... How many packages are still processed daily by the post office? Tell me. 23.8 million. Ah. How many pieces of mail processed per second? 4,877 pieces of mail each second, even though we're not sending as much, which comes out to about 292,628 pieces of mail each minute. Ah. And the Postal Service says no single operation in the world comes close to this level of connectivity for so many households and businesses. That's laudable, isn't it? Yeah. 421 million pieces of mail every day still processed. Okay. Well, before I get to my quote, um, quick question. Approximately, Bob, how many earthquakes are there each day around the world? Hmm. Earthquakes. How many earthquakes per day? And these can be tiny, too. These are not like major things that are shaking buildings and knocking them down. So I would say maybe 150, maybe 200. Per day around the world? Yeah. It's 55. 55. Or 20,000 a year, according to the National Earthquake Information Center. So much for solid earth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm going to finish up with two Memorial Day quotes. Okay. (laughs) Here's a quote from Anonymous. One of my old boyfriends. Okay, quote, <laughs> quote, home of the free because of the brave. Because of the brave. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah that's we're the, the land of the free because of the brave. Absolutely. And Eleanor Roosevelt, she said, 
Freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes responsibility. Thank you, Marcia. Let's go out and hang up the flag. All right, that's all for today. We hope you've enjoyed our little half hour here of trivia. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fun facts and tantalizing trivia here on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.